to Dear Dio Podcast, your resource for honest advice, musings, all of the things about medical school that you want to hear about. I'm your host, Michael Garrison, incoming PGY1 neurology resident, and I really hope that you guys are all enjoying the podcast so far. I can't believe that we're already on episode 24. It feels like I just started this yesterday, and I'm so happy with the community that we are building with this platform Go ahead, and if you aren't already, follow me on Instagram at dear.do.pod and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you're listening to this today. It really helps keep the momentum that we're building. So this week, I brought in Dr. Brittany Ladson. She's a PGY2, almost maybe a week left, um, PGY2 emergency medicine physician and she is amazing. So she specializes on her kind of Instagram platform. She did a TEDx talk at Michigan State University about women in medicine, which she coins the phrase STEMinism, trying to encourage more women to join STEM fields, which I think is amazing. Um, so we talk about bias in medicine towards women, Um, maybe why it might be a little bit harder for women in medicine to kind of break through the mold to get into bigger and better positions within medicine. Um, And I ask her some really interesting questions. So go ahead and stay tuned for the rest of the episode after this ad break. Alrighty, so let's get started. Just for some background, this is Dr. Ladson. She is an emergency medicine resident. And just for some background in your own words, can you tell the listeners a little bit about you and your journey to emergency medicine residency? Absolutely. Um, My name is uh, Brittany Ladson. I am a first, nearly a second year resident in emergency medicine. I have about a week and a half left, uh, which is so crazy. And I am in Michigan. And I've been here my whole life, which is super great. I get to serve the community that um, is mine. When I originally went into medical school, I went to Michigan State College of Osteopathic Medicine. Definitely now knew I wanted to be a DO from the very beginning. Knew I wanted to pursue osteopathic medicine uh, for several reasons. I like the hands-on component, especially in the emergency department. You have someone who comes in with back pain. You can treat them in more ways than just uh, pharmaceutical ways. Uh, So I really enjoyed that, and I knew I wanted to do that right from the beginning. But I was thinking, do I want to do maybe something um, I can take on an international level? I did many, many missions trips and really, really enjoyed it. And so I thought, well, yeah, emergency medicine is kind of like the jack of all trades. You can definitely take it internationally. Then I was thinking like, oh, I love OB-GYN. I love delivering babies, and there's such a need for that almost everywhere else. So... I think during my first like year and a half or so of medical school, I was considering doing OBGYN. And what I really found out is that I truly do love OB, but the guy part is not as appealing to me. Um, and so in my in my eyes, it's like, how do you go through residency and like maybe not enjoy half of it? Like yeah. it's a significant part of your time. And I just want to really like soak it all up and enjoy every moment I can. I was like, okay, well, what are the things about OB that I really enjoy? Like what's attracting me to that field? It's definitely the the adrenaline. You can't really plan all that well. And I'm like, what fits better than the emergency department for those characteristics? Um, so then started learning more about emergency medicine. I am from a school that I'm very thankful that they have a third year clerkship rotation in emergency medicine, which uh, does not happen everywhere. So I was able to get some exposure early on 
and realized I really enjoyed it. And then um, just continued on from there. Once I found the specialty, was in the environment, in the ER, I knew I wanted to stay there. It's so collaborative. It's so it's so diverse. You can't plan. And it's also shift work. So like you're there, you're into it, and then you get to go home and relax and be with your family, which is super important to me. And that's kind of my journey in medicine so far. That is a whirlwind, really. Like I, first of all, I want to touch on how you know, you, you explored other things. You didn't go in wanting emergency medicine outright. You spent some time thinking about OB-GYN. Um, I think that a lot of people are in that boat. I, in last week's, or I guess two weeks ago, episode with um, Dr. Delaney Bieber, we referenced her boyfriend a couple of times. He's now an IM, but he was in the same boat. He didn't like the GYN part. He liked the OB part. He liked the the kind of adrenaline of it. That's what I enjoyed as well, which is weird because I'm not going into an adrenaline type of <laughs> type of field at all. Um, but I I love that you kind of touched on that and you were able to find emergency medicine through this journey, through all of the other specialties. And then I think that it's amazing that your your school offered an EM rotation as a third year. I think that that's something that everybody listening if you are, you know, applying to medical school or looking at medical schools, this is something that maybe you can ask about, especially if you are interested in emergency medicine. For me, emergency medicine was my very, very last rotation of medical school. I was matched. I was checked out kind of like it was just, it was April of 2023 and that was it. Um, so I never had that experience. And if I ended up liking it, who knows what would have happened. So um, I really like that your school, that your school did that. I'm very appreciative as well. So starting off, I just want to say how big of a fan I am of your work. Um, For the listeners listening, um, you had an article about addiction in EMRA, which is the emergency medicine resident kind of um, journal. Um, That was great. And then your TEDx talk was super informative. During that TEDx talk, you coined the term STEMinism. So could you explain to the listeners what this term means and why it's so important? Absolutely. Uh, So in the very middle of the pandemic, um, March of 2021, um, I was able to present a TEDx talk at Michigan State. Um, It's been my goal for so many years now, um, and I've been rejected along the way, and I finally got the opportunity to present. And I presented um, a topic called, If You Can See Her, You Can Be Her, and that's about STEMinism. And STEMinism is the hybrid of STEM and feminism, and STEM meaning uh, science, technology, education, and math, and then um, feminism meaning uh, female empowerment, of course. And that was a super important topic to me for a whole bunch of different reasons. Uh, For myself personally, I didn't have um, a medical mentor growing up. My whole family is in accounting and finance and business. And I was able to get an internship doing some business stuff at one point. And that's when I realized I didn't want to do it. Um, And so I'm thankful that I had that network. um, But I still did not have someone I can reach out to be like, okay, like healthcare should I be a nurse? Should I be a PA? Should I be a doctor? Like, like what other opportunities are there to pursue in, in medicine? Um, so a lot of that was self-endeavors self endeavors and people just giving me, just being 
open and letting me come into their practice, shadow, observe, learn how medicine worked from someone who has never seen it happen before outside of being a patient in a pediatrician's office. And so even going into my clerkship into third and fourth year of medical school, again, I've never done that before. I don't really have a whole bunch of people that in my family I can reach out to to talk about like what are good things to do? Like what's what's the culture? How do I adapt? Like all these things that you learn on your own, but it'd be better if you had someone there to advise you and mentor you on it. Um, and I even saw a lot of things during my first couple of, I mean, some at one point like hours <laughs> into my clerkship. Um, and, and beyond that really shows you that women have a different, uh, they are treated differently in healthcare. When I first arrived at the hospital to pick up my uh, badge, very excited about to start clerkship, getting my badge. I'm going to take a photo of it. It's going to be so cool. Um, the security officer, who was actually a female herself, um, printed the badge. I gave her my paper explaining like who I was, my role, and the different accesses that I needed. And she printed on there uh, my name and the nursing student. And I was like, oh, no, like, must have been an accident. I'm a medical student. I need this reprinted. But she acted kind of um, confused as to like, wait, like not a nursing student. Like I thought, like she almost made it seem like women go into medical school when they mean they're going into nursing school and men are going to medical school because they mean they're going to become a doctor. Yeah. So it's actually like a a puzzlement. Um, She looked puzzled (laughs) um, at this. And that was my very, very first interaction as a medical student in clerkship. Um, so it wasn't off to like a great note, um, but you know, you have to have resilience and you keep going. But one of my other impactful experiences was like just a couple months later, like second or third month of resi- uh, month of clerkship, I was on my surgery rotation, which is a very male dominated field. Um, so it's, and it's also a very, you know, early morning, late night type of field. So it's very wearing. Um, it was a very early morning when I was on the rotation and some of the residents were like, Hey, uh, we need to change this person's abdominal wound packing. Can you take care of that for us? And I was super happy to just, you know, get my hands on patients. And it was an older gentleman and I was changing his gauze, trying to distract him from the pain that might be happening during this time. And um, he did look at my hand when I was putting my gloves on to get ready for the procedure. And he's like, oh, you like you aren't like married and had a, you know, a comment to make about that. And then also said, like, why would you want to pursue medicine? It's so hard and you're just going to become a stay-at-home wife one day. Oh, my gosh. And that was really tough to hear just because, one, I'm, you know, it's the surgery rotation. No one really enjoys it unless you want to be a surgeon. It's a very early morning. Um, I'm fresh as a, as a clerkship student. This is, like, only my second month in. And it was very discouraging to hear from like the patient perspective that that's what people are thinking as well. And for someone to actually say it, it brought it to a different level. And to be honest, I didn't know how to reply. I didn't say anything at all. And to be honest, I don't even know what the the best reply is even at this time in my life. Yeah. Um, I know I'm doing the best thing for myself now. I graduated medical school. I'm finishing my first year of residency. Things are going good. Um, trying to be a mentor to other females in medicine. But those situations are tough nonetheless. 
So during my TED Talk, I reflected on those experiences, and I even have more to add as a first-year resident um, about things that have happened, uh, both within the healthcare staff, with patients, all that. So that was my TED Talk, and then I tried to, to end it by saying there's so much positive that's going on, and we can do so much more. Uh, for instance, as of 2019, the first um, that's the first year that there are more female medical students joining the profession than there are male students, uh, which is great. However, there's still just not a lot of uh, females in uh, higher positions within the healthcare field, uh, CEOs, uh, program leaders, chairs, and that's where a lot of the work needs to be done. And then why is that? I talked about how sometimes it's we need time to breastfeed or pump our breasts for our children, um, and men don't have to do that. And sometimes that can be deemed as detrimental to someone's career, to their um, the climbing of the ladder. Um, and so I just talked about those things, and and it'd be even great in the next like year or two to do another TED talk to talk about all the things that have happened, all the things that I've learned, and how to develop your advisorship and mentorship, um, your people. Yeah, definitely. So I just want to run through everything that you just said, because you said a lot of really, really great points. So first off, the whole mentorship thing, I totally feel you with that. I have a very similar kind of experience where everyone in my family is from non-healthcare kind of backgrounds. And I think that it is harder, especially as a as a identifying as a female going into medicine without mentorship, um, just because I don't know. It's something about you know asking for help, maybe um, being like a strong, independent, independent woman. You know, trying to go through this thing. Um, it's hard to ask for help, um, and even when you do ask for help. I feel like you maybe don't get the same opportunities as as males do when they when they ask for the help, um, and so I I like that you brought that up. And then going through you know your experiences with being mistreated or mislabeled as a nursing student or something like that, um, I just want to second that. I don't know if this is just a universal kind of thing, but I had a very similar experience. It was. It was after like a 12-hour shift. I was really tired and I had to drive an hour back to my house after the rotation. So I stopped by Publix to get dinner that I was going to eat in my car on the way home. I'm exhausted. And as I'm checking out, the cashier and the bagger are trying to make conversation with me. They had no malintentions, but they were like, oh, are are you a nurse at the hospital across the road? And I was like, no, I'm actually a medical student. And they were like, oh, so you're going to become a nurse. And I was like, no, I'm a medical student. I'm going to become a doctor. And they were like, oh, what kind of doctor? (laughs) And I'm just like, like, it's, it's actually, it's actually bizarre how misinformed citizens are about the healthcare education process, um, what it takes to become a nurse, what it takes to become a PA, what what it takes to become a a physician, the role that residency plays in becoming a physician. When we graduate from medical school, we are all medical doctors, doctors of osteopathic medicine, whatever it is, we are all doctors. And then we have to do this thing called residency, 
where we actually get to become a specialized kind of doctor. And it's lost on so many people. Um, so I just want to second second that whole thing. And, you know, I was I probably didn't react in the best way when they were asking me those questions. I was probably very short with them, um, which I should learn more patience. And because um, <laughs> they honestly, how would they know? But I think that we, there's things to be done in the education of, of Americans in terms of healthcare education. The second point that I want to make with that is um, I just want to kind of muse with you a little bit about how maybe we can we can react in ways that are that are healthier. Same thing with like patients that you know treat me differently because I'm a, a woman in healthcare. Um, I had to stitch up this guy's finger. His finger was basically like off of his hand. This was during my emergency medicine rotation. This was one of the things that I liked. I loved the procedures. And so I'm stitching up his hand um, and he's, you know, he's trying to grin and bear it for, for me. And I bet that it was very unpleasant, but he, at the very end, he's like, thank you, darling. And I'm like, can I take a picture of it? He was like, oh, is it for your scrapbook? And I'm like, I just laughed because <laughs> I didn't know what else to say, but it's like, you really think that like, I just do this for a scrapbook? Like, no, I don't. I do this because, you know, I was really proud of my work. I did a really good job. Um, so how do you think we can maybe react better? I always just kind of am caught off guard and I just laugh. So maybe that's not the best way. What do you think? You definitely have to read the room. Um First off, I think there are some people that are more receptive to feedback and there's some people that are uh, uh, not interested in any feedback. And so I think that's where it starts. After that, I think in the older population, I think the education is is very much needed. They're the ones who interact with the healthcare field the most. They have a lot of a variety of medical concerns. They see a lot of doctors and they should have respect for their physicians and those are our colleagues. And so Something that I personally like to do um, is when I'm in the ER talking to a patient about like, oh, you see this specialist, that specialist. I never initially gender that person because um, I don't know if their physician is a female or male uh, based off of their last name. I have no idea. Um, and so even making a point like, is he or she treating you for diabetes? Just so I'm not perpetuating the issue. Like, oh, is he treating your diabetes when when their family physician may be a female? Um, so I'm playing my part in the conversation and hopefully those things are caught on and and the patient recognizes what I'm trying to say to them. And so they can implement that in their own uh, vocabulary. And then same thing with little kiddos. Um, I think a lot of them are like, oh, like my nurse is here or oh, is, the do oh, is that the doctor? You know, cutesy, you know, and they don't necessarily realize. Um, but then using that as a... a time to be a mentor and, and to be a role model to them. Um, say like, oh, I went to medical school and I am your doctor. Look at my badge. It says physician. You can be one of those two one day. And so that will be impactful and memorable to them um, to just make a positive impact, a positive note on changing that dialogue for people, young, old, and all in between. I think that those are great points that you made, you know, and I think that um, a point that you made that I didn't even think about was the fact that we do need to educate more of our older population 
for me, when I originally thought about it, I was like, oh, it's lost on them. You know, like they're, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but that's not true. Um, I think it's all about the way that you go about it. Like you said, read the room. That guy that chopped his fing- almost chopped his finger off um, that asked me if I was c- taking the picture for, a, for my scrapbook, I, I knew that he didn't have any bad intentions with it. Um, so I didn't feel the need to educate him. Um, should I? Maybe. Probably. Um, but I think that you kind of said some key points that le- leads into the next topic of discussion that we were going to do. So you kind of mentioned that subliminal bias, right? Um, when someone mentions that they have a doctor's appointment, I think probably 90% of people might think, oh, who is he? Who is your doctor? He's obviously a guy, right? Um, so do you think that there's a subliminal bias towards girls in high school to not pursue STEM fields and perhaps pursue other things like homemaking, teaching, art, things that are classically associated with kind of outdated female duties? And with that, have you had someone early on who encouraged you to pursue STEM? I know you said that, you know, your family came from a lot of accounting background, but who really pushed you or did you not need a push to pursue medicine? I do think there is a slight bias among high school teachers, uh, society, social outlets for women to pursue more housely activities, um, housely duties than men are. Specifically that like I don't see men being told, oh, you need to like clean better. Oh, you need to cook better. Like you need to work on those skills. Um, cause I know I used to like bring food to parties and like, yeah. I am still learning how to cook and all that. Um, and so I'd have people comment like, oh, you gotta like bring this back next time. You gotta improve it for next time. Whereas if, you know, my fiance or someone would bring food, those comments probably wouldn't be made. Um, yeah, the bar is lower. Bar's lower. And, um, I don't think that's, sh- that's defined as one of their goals, um, whereas it's definitely for us, like you got to keep a clean house, you got to do great cooking. Um, you got to make sure everything's neat and tidy, everything's taken care of. Um, and then the guy is just that person that shows up, um, you know, like when the, yeah. on Christmas morning, like the parents, you know, are both giving the gifts, but the dad has no idea what's inside the boxes. Um, it's, classic. it's those classic yeah. <laughs> things that we see on TV. We hear, um, you know, people talking about, uh, on the radio and, and all different forms and, and perspectives, um, and I think that's unfortunately something that's been still going on in our society. I think there is an intentional change of direction from a lot of people, um, a lot of you know positive influences for women in medicine, women in STEM, um, great movies that have recently come out. Um, but I think there's predominantly that um, women and male roles um, defined by society. For me personally, um, like I said earlier, I didn't really have any healthcare providers in my family who uh, encouraged me to do medicine. Um, I know a lot of parents are like, "Oh, I'm a doctor, so my kids, you know, get ready to go to medical school." And I mean, I'm not gonna lie; I hope my pa- my kids did the same thing. <laughs> I think that'd be so cool. <laughs> but I wasn't one of those uh, kids. But I will say that my family, being in accounting and finance, were very much into math and all of the stuff that's involved with accounting. And so they very much encouraged me to go into something that was like science or math-esque. 
Um, and so they didn't discourage me from doing something like that. Um, I think my both my parents encouraged me highly to do something challenging in either math or, or science. They're both um, CPAs and CFOs, so very not like what I want to do in life, but still the same elements apply. And I very I appreciate that they never told me I couldn't do anything. Right. And that is so important because some kids don't have that growing up. Yeah. And I, it's almost like you read my, my writing for, for this question. (laughs) Um, when I was preparing for this kind of, this interview, I was thinking back to, you know, if I had any of that subliminal bias and I mean, I definitely did from extended members of my family. Um, you know, you gotta have a clean house learn how to cook. My mom doesn't know how to cook. So I mean, I didn't have a great role model there already. But you know, my mom never expected anything of me. Um, And I think that that might be the, the key here that like we both share, you know, like she expected me to do well, but she never was like, you have to do this, you have to do that. Um, You can be whatever you want to be. It's the world is your oyster. Just do your homework and don't get arrested. <laughs> and like that was her, <laughs> that was her minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think in terms of like parenting, um, I'm not a parent, um, so I can't really speak to it. But I, I feel like for me, that was exactly what I needed. I don't think that I would have become a doctor if I, if my mom told me you have to become a doctor. Um, And then in terms of, you know, my high school, I went to a college preparatory kind of school. It wasn't a private school, but it wasn't a public school. It was kind of this weird in between. Um, And there were more girls than boys at that school. And the expectation was that everyone was going to go into STEM. Um, we didn't have a football team. The The best sport that we had was soccer and lacrosse. Um, so. It sounds like you're describing my oh school. My exactly. I went to an international baccalaureate oh, high school, cool. which sounds very similar. It does sound exactly the same. Yeah. Um, so, so basically all of the teachers were like, you know, we have to go to college. Um, we have 99% college acceptance rate and college matriculation rate. Um, it was 100% before my class. We had one one girl was like, I'm not going to college just to screw up this 99%. But honestly, like, good for her, you know, like, college isn't for everyone. But I think just having that kind of level playing field in high school for me um, was all the difference. And then going into college, it was the same thing. You know, you, I went to a good uh, undergrad university where there was no expectations of like, oh, if you're a girl, you have to be an anthropology major. It wasn't like that. I mean, my um, my pre-med advisor was really, really mean and did tell me that I should be an anthropology major. But I have no idea if that has anything to do with uh, me being a female. So any thoughts? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people have those same experiences, specifically with their pre-health advisors. Same thing applied for me. I went to a high school where there were um, like the there was like a hundred per class, and in the area, like the general population high schools had like six hundred per class. So mine was a lot smaller. It was um, a program that was college preparatory, more females than males. Everyone was encouraged to go to college. I think we did have a hundred percent, and but I was only the third graduating class, so there weren't that many. You know, the end was low at that point. Um, 
but same thing applied. But I think sometimes when we get to that college level and we have our pre-health or pre-med advisors, I think that's a lot of times where people get discouraged. And I do find it unfortunate because, you know, college is the time to try out everything, you know, dream big, live big, you know, do all those things. Like it's almost a time to be selfish about what's going on in your life. Like, everything you want to do, everything you want to learn, um, experience, like this is the time to do it. And I think I've heard so frequently people being discouraged from pursuing medicine. And it's hard to understand what the perspective is. I think some of it is preventing disappointment or preventing any issues with the application process or delaying medical school, things like that. But you always need that person, that advisor, that mentor, someone who's going to encourage you. Um, And when you're in college and you seek out your pre-med advisor, because that's the first line of defense that you have, and they're telling you to not pursue medicine, it can be emotional. It can be saddening. It can be disappointing. And they might not have they might not have your best interest in mind. Something that, you know, I had to remind myself. Um, I mean, I didn't think of this back then, but I would say this to everybody else. You know, these people work for the university. They get their salary from the university. They need to make the university look good. So if 18-year-old me shows up and I just failed my Calc 1 exam and my Chem 1 exam and I say, please help me, I still want to be a doctor, they don't they don't want me to continue failing classes making the university look bad and then making the university look even worse when i apply to medical school with such a poor gpa and i don't get in that makes their their university look even worse and so you know just looking at everything through like a third party lens and being like okay maybe they didn't have your best interest in mind maybe they were you know you got to look who's paying them um, so having somebody who's a mentor for for you, who's kind of not involved in in the education itself, maybe, um, and is completely unbiased, that's who you got to go for. Someone who is on your team and your team only. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And you mentioned this before, so we're just going to go into this this last question. So. Over half of the medical students now that are entering medical school, that are graduating medical school, identify as female. Would you say that the work in feminism is done or is there still more work that we can do? I know that you mentioned how, you know, the the higher up positions are still very much occupied by men. So what do you think? I think STEMinism has um, evolved and is so important, and I think there's so much more we can do. Um, so like I was saying earlier, I think there's so much room for improvement um, beyond just the medical school acceptance of males and females. I think we need to see more medical school deans being female. We need to see more uh, medical school professors being female. Um, and that also applies to our hospital system. We need to see more female CEOs, department chairs, um, residency program directors being female. And I think that is very needed. One of the reasons I chose my specific residency program is that both the uh, program director and the assistant program director are both female. Um, I had met them at conferences. They're very involved on the uh, regional, state, and national level of emergency medicine. And seeing them both in the role in the uh, residency program, as well as like 
various boards and both state and national levels. That was very impactful for me because I want to see people doing the work that I want to do in the future. I want to have those mentorships and advisorships in place, seeing it happen through, like kind of like living vicariously through them to see what it's like to be that next person who can do it. And I think that's one of the main reasons that we need more women leaders. It's not just because we want you know, 50-50, we want to have people that can look up to someone and say like, hey, that person had a kid while in residency, that person had a kid while she is uh, a program director, she can do it, I can do it, and I can ask her any questions along the way that I have. That's why it's so important. Yes, 100%. Yes, yes, yes. I would like to say, you know, when I was on the interview interview trail and the audition trail, um, while I was on auditions, I saw several residents who were recently postpartum and they were pumping during rounds. Like that is just amazing. Um, it's definitely possible. And then there was another program that was, it was on my list. I applied to it. I didn't apply to very many programs, but I did apply to it. It wasn't very high on my list uh, initially. Once I did the interview, all of their leadership was women, and they held monthly women in medicine empowerment kind of conferences with their residents and had all these really fun speakers. And just talking with them during the interview trail was so inspiring. I wanted to go there. Like at that point, I was like, you're in my top five, 100%. Um, so it's just, it can make all the difference. And it really can. you don't think, oh, well, I can, I can just imagine my own future. Like, yes, yes, you can imagine your own future, but it, it brings so much life into your dreams when you can see someone else living it. And I mm-hmm. think that that's the big thing that we're saying here. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So what do you have to say? Do you have kids, by the way? I do not, but hopefully in the next couple of years. Nice, nice. Um, So what do you have to say to, you know, maybe some people applying to medical school or thinking about applying to medical school or medical students thinking about starting a family, um, but people are advising them against starting a family while in medical school or they're advising people to not even go to medical school if they want to have a family? I say that everyone's journey is unique and it's their own. Um, Some people's journey brings them one direction. Somebody's journey brings them a different direction. No matter what that is, it is your own unique experience. You are able and willing to do anything you're able and willing to do. Um, If you're female, male, if you are from uh, a different backgrounds. If you have kids before you even start medical school, if you want to pursue having a family while in medical school, whatever your specific background is, you can still be an amazing physician and help so many patients. Um, And having those things will make you stronger and unique and help you with the next medical student or the next resident who wants to do the same thing with their career. Um, You are important. You are needed. You are vital to the medical community, Uh, whether you're pre-med, medical student, resident, attending, beyond. Everyone's unique. Everyone's journey is unique, and it is needed for the most efficacious patient care and in the medical community of medical professionals. Yeah. And, you know, in the future, 
I'm planning on having a couple of people that I know who are medical students right now who do have families who maybe had families before medical school and then continued growing their family while in medical school. And after, you know, just knowing these people and um, being friends with them, maybe from the outside, what I've noticed is that, you know, not only are you still going to be a great physician, you're still going to be a great parent, too. It does not diminish any of your parenting qualities because, you know, it's all about intentional time. Um, And that's what I've noticed. So, you know, instead of just sitting on the couch and watching TV with their kids, they're actually, you know, taking that time, even if it's a small amount of time with their children, and really making the most out of it. And it's just all about, you know, who you see doing it and who you can look up to. I remember when I was applying to medical school, one of my big mentors, um, when I thought that I wanted to, to do plastic surgery, um, was this physician that I shadowed a bunch and did research with. And she was pregnant doing, you know, 14 hour long surgeries. Um, and I'm just, to this day, I'm still like, wow, how did she do that? Um, I don't know if I could do that. And I think that that's a lot of the questions that people ask themselves is like, oh, they can do it, but can I? Um, And I think that for most of us, you just got to do it. Like once you're in that position, um, you would be amazed at how resilient and how just powerful you are to push through. Um, So just remembering that. And those of the of those people that have, um, you know, going through fourteen hour surgeries and being pregnant, those are the people that are extremely strong, and those are the people that will want to talk to you about those experiences. They want to share what it's like, and that's where your your mentor network begins. Definitely. So this brings us to the final segment of the show, our final Rex, where we send you off with something that our guest really loves that they would like to recommend to you. This can be anything from a resource, a book, movie, game, website, activity, literally anything medicine or non-medicine re- related that you really love that you want to share with the listeners. So take it away. Yeah. So for me, I uh, have been enjoying some movies recently. Um, one of them is Hidden Figures. Um, it has that female medicine, female encouragement, empowerment element to it. Um, there's also a Picture of Scientist, which is really great. Those are some movies that I've been really enjoying recently. And I have watched them with a group of women in medicine or women in STEM organizations. So they've been very um, nice to get together and doing a, an enjoy, enjoying activity together. I encourage you guys to do the same thing. I think, you know, pick a night, a, make it a movie night, get your popcorn, get your soda, get your candies, um, and watch this movie, feel empowered and encouraged, and, and just make it a, a very pleasurable night. Get something out of it. That sounds like a wonderful self-care activity that mm. everyone listening should do, male, female, whoever you are, medical or non-medical related. Um, I just want to take another moment to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and reaching out to me personally and being so enthusiastic about uh, just all of your work and everything. Um, I'm a big fan. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. Just want to send a thank you again to Dr. Brittany Ladson. Um, We had an amazing conversation. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. If you did, go ahead and leave a five-star rating interview. Let me know about what you want to hear about next week. 
We have some really exciting guests coming from my alma mater, so I'm very excited about that. We will be having Dr. Ashley Hamadi, DO and OBGYN, PGY2. Um, She is literally the bee's knees, so I'm so excited to have her on board. Um, Yeah, and then other people in the mix, so stay tuned for all of that exciting stuff. Like always, give a five-star rating and review. Follow me on Instagram at dear.do.pod. You can actually check out my website, deardopod.com, for all of my blog posts and all of my medical school guides. So before every medical school exam, I would make a guide about all of the high-yield things that I thought was going to be on the test. And my website is where you can access all of those PDFs for completely free. So go ahead and check that out. Um, Hope to see you guys here again next time.